Hello, this is Ken Root. I am sad to report that Bill Northey has died. Bill lived life well. He was a man of honor and integrity, a good friend, a farmer leader throughout his adult years. Bill shook hands with thousands of you at the Iowa State Fair as you were presented the Century Farm Awards. He was president of the National Corn Growers back in the 90s. He became a government official as Iowa's elected Secretary of Agriculture in 2006. During the Trump administration, Bill served as an official of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington. Our sympathies to his wife Cindy and his children and grandchildren. This interview was from 2022, not long ago. At the time, Bill was the president of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. My guest is Bill Northey, an Iowa native from the northwest part of the state. He gained prominence back in the 1990s as an officer of the National Corn Growers Association, and then he moved into elected and appointed positions in agriculture, first in the state of Iowa and then in the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Bill is back in Iowa and now the CEO of the Iowa Agribusiness Association. He's young enough to do many more things in life, and I'm going to explore, if he'll talk to me about it, what they might be. But first, I want to talk to Mr. Secretary, if you will, about his history and the shared experiences we had in Iowa, uh, in Washington, and in China. How are you today, Bill? I am great, Ken. Great to uh, uh, be talking with you. Look forward to the conversation. I still have to say that I worked at AAI for a period of time. Then I worked with AAI for quite a long period of time. And uh, you and I have traveled together. And uh, I have interviewed you in your office many times. And so we have a bond here, I feel, of being uh, within this industry, you on your side and me on my side. And we both uh, respected that. But there have been times that we've both been in the same trench, uh, under fire, if you will, the same way. <laughs> we'll right. get to that. Uh, uh, how did you really decide that you wanted to do anything other than just farm? Because you regrettably were a farmhouser at Iowa State. Uh, I'm an AGR <laughs> from Oklahoma State. And then you went back to the farm. What made you decide to do something more then farm that beautiful land of Northwest Iowa? Well, you know, um, certainly it, it just kind of happened. Ken, you've, I'm sure, run into lots of folks there that have said that with uh, their roles in life. Um, I, uh, I was back farming. I, I had a grandfather who was on my mom's side who was president of Iowa Farm Bureau. So very aware of the opportunities in in ag organizations to be able to uh, uh, to share and to learn and to meet folks and to provide some some engagement and support for farmers in those roles, but I, I really hadn't decided to do that. I did get active in in my local farm bureau in Dickinson County um, and uh, served in roles through there. Was president of the of the county and had gotten a little bit active in uh, in some state activities but never on the state board or anything and 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 uh, actually had a conversation with uh, one of 
one of the Iowa corn grower folks, Rod Williamson. I was just with him uh, this last weekend. Rod uh, came up to organize Dickinson County for Iowa corn growers at a meeting, drove 200 miles. I was the only one that happened to be at this meeting. I'm sure he thought he had completely wasted his time. Um, but that from that conversation, I became a candidate for a position on the Iowa Corn Growers Board. I was promised that I wouldn't get elected. I actually got elected to that board as a young man in my 20s. Um, so I served around folks like Thurman Gaskill and Vero Bailey and just some amazing leaders, Ron Swanson. And I was this young guy on the board just absorbing uh, their great insight and the way that they operated. Uh, that's what led me into activity on an Iowa Corn Growers Board, not any strategy whatsoever from my part. Um, and sooner or later, then I became one of those folks that others look to to, to uh, take some leadership roles in Iowa corn growers and then eventually national corn growers as well. So it wasn't a great strategy. It just was uh, being able to be there when somebody asked for a little bit of help and a little bit of help turned into a lot of time, an amazing experience. And I absolutely got more than I ever gave, um, but it came from Rod Williams, I'm driving 200 miles across the state uh, and wasting time. And then also saying that uh, it was definitely worth it, even though one guy showed up to, to a meeting that was supposed to be met for a lot of other folks. It was definitely worth it to me too, Ken. I first bumped into you in the 1990s, didn't know you at all, didn't even see you at the time because I was doing AgriTalk. And uh, there was some, uh, controversy within the corn growers organization and you were the national president so our first interview was not a totally friendly interview but it was a proper interview and i thought you handled it well and if we ever pull out these old agritalk shows and rerun them i think it's one you might want to hear um, but you are able to continue functioning when you uh come out of the frying pan into the fire so to speak so you, you have that skill, you are so nice, you look so young, I mean, you're in your early 60s, but you still have a certain ability that I see why people have, uh, have urged you to move ahead. Well, I appreciate that, Ken. You know, uh, um, not everything a person works with is uh, fun to do, but, but the most important thing is to be honest and and to be forthright and certainly within organizations whether it's personnel issues or other challenging issues you have to be able to answer the questions um to the extent that you can and move on um and uh and i i guess a person gets those kinds of experiences i've also had a lot of other great people to watch and model um, how to work with interviews over time. And uh, certainly we've had lots of opportunities to be able to talk through the years, some a lot easier than others. Well, you know, the first time you popped up again for me was in 2006. I had come to Iowa in 2004 and you were running for Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. And quite frankly, you were an unknown. You weren't even supposed to win your Republican primary, uh, but you did. Uh, and then you went on to the general election, uh, which was had to be a scary event. 
in that race, just go back to it because that was that was your entree into politics. What was that like for you? Yeah, it. Um, I, I think sometimes we're best off not knowing uh, what everything's going to involve once we make a decision to step forward and do things. And so, I decided in 2005 that I was interested in running for. I was Secretary of Ag. I actually had just finished up a master's in business administration and it kind of a study of of what are the activities that a secretary does how do you run for office and and uh, I'm sure I got some of the things right I know I got some of the things wrong in that uh, little study that I did for myself but it's a great experience great to be able to get around the state it was challenging you've got to raise money when you've not done that before and as you said Ken I I've been president of National Corn Growers, but not like very many people really knew who I was. And and uh, and frankly, in a statewide election like that for Secretary of Ag, they're not really paying that much attention to a sec- Secretary of Agriculture role. They're thinking about governor. They're thinking about U.S. Senator. We had a couple open, open congressional seats at that time as well. Those are the ones they're paying attention to. So you run kind of under the radar, um, but a great experience getting around the state. You talk to the folks that uh, care about it. You raise a little bit of money. And in that year was a very Democratic year. And uh, I was a Republican running for an open seat. Um, I It took me till about three o'clock in the morning to finally discover that I had won that general election. Uh, so it was a very close race, 25,000 votes out of a million. Um, and uh, it it uh, certainly was rewarding. But then all of a sudden, we had to figure out what we're going to do once I got into that role, too. And it was a um, great experience. I'll tell you, Secretary of Ag in a state uh, has got to be one of the best roles there can be. You get to work with great ag folks. I spent time then. Um, going to every county every year as secretary, um, getting to know a state that I kind of thought I knew something about, but getting to know it a lot better and getting around some of the best people in the world. Uh, that's the ag folks in, in the state of Iowa. Let me ask you this about an elected secretary of agriculture. You know I have feelings about this because I've seen it in other states. One of them was uh, Texas, for example, when Jim Hightower was their secretary of agriculture and was very anti the agricultural people. It's far less than 50% of the people who have any knowledge of agriculture, even in the state of Iowa. And in the case of you running that first time against Denise O'Brien, she took that other track. She was trying to get the non-ag people to vote for her. And according to your campaign manager, you were down considerably coming into the race before people started really comparing the two of you. Do you still believe that the Secretary of Agriculture in Iowa should be elected rather than appointed by the governor? I do, Ken. Of course, I wouldn't have served if if it wasn't elected. The, the, I, I got along very well with Governor Culver, but he would have never selected me um, being a Republican, him a a Democrat as his secretary of ag if it was appointed office, as well as when you are elected, you have some standing on your own that allows you to work closely with a governor, but independently from a governor. I really think we would not have 
had necessarily a nutrient reduction strategy the same way. Had I not been independent from a governor, it would have been a governor's nutrient reduction strategy as opposed to a secretary's along with the rest of agriculture engaging. So I think it's a very constructive thing, but as you point out, there's some risk to it. Um, and you definitely can have the non-agricultural vote overwhelm an agriculture vote uh, within a state for that position, it, depending on how a race goes. So um, in my case, it certainly worked out um, for me anyway. I will let others decide whether it worked out for Iowa right or not in Iowa agriculture. Um, but I think it's a constructive thing while there is some risk. Uh, definitely a governor will choose someone who typically is friendly to agriculture, but that person does necessarily need to carry a governor's water and be responsive to a governor as opposed to independent. I got along very well with my governors, whether they're Republican or Democrat, um, and intended to, but I was an independent voice getting along when the governor and I both said the same thing. It was because we agreed with each other, not because the governor told me that's what I needed to say uh, as well. And I think that added some strength to the secretary of agriculture position. Uh, so there is risk, um, but I still think it's a good thing. You could get along with a hornet's nest, honestly. And I thought you handled things very well in administrations both ways. And clearly the public started voting for you in larger numbers in your three elections. So you climbed on each one of those. But you also had some challenges that you had to face. And one of them was the avian flu, this high pathogen avian flu that got into the poultry farms of Iowa and literally decimated many of them. How, if you could spell it out fairly briefly, did you step up and deal with that? Man, I tell you, you just, um, you, you're prepared a little bit, but but not really for the actuality. Uh, so as you said, wild birds came over, infected domestic birds with avian influenza in Iowa. We have more layers uh, of, of hen eggs than any other state out there, about 60 million layers on Iowa farms. That's about a quarter of all the layers in the country. And we lost about half of those, about 30 million layers, as well as a lot of turkeys in Iowa in 2015. Um, and so we had to figure out how to stop uh, the birds that were getting sick from spreading it to others. Uh, we did okay, but we didn't do as well as what they've done more recently because they learned from some of the things that we did wrong at the time. We all learned a lot more about avian influenza as time has gone on. Um, and, uh, and you work closely with USDA Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, APHIS, um, and they provide some of the science, some of the dollars to be able to uh, um, depopulate birds. You kill the birds that are exposed to the disease uh, that are on the farm, uh, that are close by, that are likely to get sick and create a lot more of the disease that could get spread to others. Um, it's not a pretty process, uh, but it's a process that's necessary to keep as many birds as you can. So definitely a learning process. And I would say the avian influenza went through many flocks in 2022, uh, was handled 
even better, definitely better than what we did in 2015, because they've learned, they've improved, uh, and kudos to those that uh, were handling things now. I think we did the best that we could at the time, um, and it definitely was a learning experience, both for the growers, for APHIS, and for those of us at the Iowa Department of Ag and Land Stewardship. Well, you also had an outbreak of swine disease, and uh, I would say much the same situation. First time, a lot of learning. Uh, definitely the swine industry improved itself greatly on sanitation after that. Making a transition to the other side of being Secretary of Agriculture, I wonder if you'd talk about the state fair presentations that you did every year for Century and Heritage Farms. For those people who had kept those farms and their family for 100 years or 150 years, and they come in and you make a presentation to them. It was an all-day deal for you every time. What was that like? You know, it really was the coolest thing, Ken. I mean, it just, uh, as you say, it's a day that starts at, uh, you start handing the plaques out at uh, maybe 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning and go often until 5 or 6 o'clock at night. Uh, you shake hands with the family. Sometimes you give hugs. Um, certainly, um, you shed some tears as people talk about how the family was able to keep that farm in the family. Just think of all the different problems. Every single farm uh, went through the 1930s and the 1970s to be able to stay in that family. We had folks that uh, came in wheelchairs. Uh, we had one person that came that said I was going to be here, even though my doctor said I shouldn't. I just had brain surgery a week ago, um, and they were there, and and the rest of the family is just teared up, uh, so proud of, the, of being able to honor everybody who kept that farm in that family. Often you would have families that would hand that that little certificate, I mean, it's really is literally a two or three minute presentation because you've got 250 families that are coming across that stage, but they'd hand that um, little certificate to the, uh, the grandkids to hold it because they said, we want them to be able to see themselves in this picture for when they make a decision, are they gonna be able to keep this farm and this family? So it's very emotional. Your hand actually gets tired after shaking hands with oh, about uh, 1,200 people in a day, um, but it is a wonderful day. And it can be hard to stand up after you're all done with that. Your feet get sore, uh, but you want to be just as excited for that last family coming across the stage because it's their big day, too, as you were for that first family coming across the stage. Well, you used to do a full grassley every year, as you've said, go to every county, but this one was like doing it in one day. Yeah, I'm that's sure. great. And that's great. Um, we've done interviews with some of these people and exactly what you said is true. They have been through these amazing things, some within living history, some just past that. If you look at the depression, for example, of who was in charge of that farm at the time and keeping it in the family, but it it's a it's a truly remarkable thing and a tremendous credit to people for being able to hold on to their land and move forward. You and I traveled to China together once. We also went to Brazil together, but the China trip <clears throat> had one experience in it that I want you to tell, not me, because I've made a career basically of telling this story. 
but I'd like to hear it from you, of the dinner that we had, followed by a bit of a gastronomic disruption. <laughs> we did. We were in uh, southern China. Uh, this was uh, getting towards the end of, of the trip, and China experiences were great. Um, we visited farms. We visited soybean processors and others. Um, they always involved um, some dinner meeting someplace with a big round glass table uh, with lots of different food on it, some of which you'd recognize, some of which you didn't. Um, and you'd always end up with something that you were surprised about. Um, this one, we we visited uh, a restaurant that serves some of the some of the uh, the fish of uh, one of the folks we visited that we're proud to to know. Um, and, uh, and we all got sick as can be the next day, just sick as can be. And we all thought we were the only ones that got sick. So we started messaging each other and said, have a great day. I'm not going to be able to make it today. And we all of a sudden realized every American involved got sick. None of the Chinese got sick, uh, but we all did. And uh, we all spent the day in the hotel uh, trying to recover. And we were ready to go the next day, uh, some of us better than others. I remember one of the guys saying, I went and unlocked the door in case they had to come and get the dead body out of the room. He felt pretty darn sick. And all of us survived, went on, and probably made additional trips to China after that, but uh, we're certainly gun-shy of food, although in that case, there was no way to tell uh, oh. that uh, we should have expected anything but uh, a perfectly healthy meal coming out of that restaurant. There's one side note that uh, you did not bring up, and uh, it's a credit to you, but it's a fact that at this dinner, Chairman Zhu, who was the man who owned the fish farms and made sure that they offered some of the fish that he had grown to be served, proposed toasts. And his toasts were done with a liqueur uh, called Maltai. And Maltai is very strong, about 120 proof. And Bill, you don't drink at all. Is that correct? That is, yes. And so we had uh, the head of the Soybean Association who doesn't drink at all. And so they turned to me, uh, the farm broadcaster, and said, uh, Ken, would you mind toasting with Chairman Zhu? Well, that liqueur is now $300 a bottle. And it's, it's, it's rotten stuff, and there's no doubt about it. But it's very <laughs> valuable and almost sacred to them. And I thought you know, I can take one for the team here. So that evening during that dinner, he proposed uh, seven toasts, as I recall, and I drank seven shots of that stuff along with him. And uh, at the end of the meal, I recall standing up and the vice president of the uh, uh, Soybean Association said, Ken, I got to hand it to you. A lot of people couldn't walk after this, but you were doing just fine. And so we laughed, and of course, at the end of the meal, it was the end of a long day, went straight to my room, I laid down, my head began to swim a little bit, but then all of a sudden, this hit, and this food poisoning was the worst I have ever experienced. In the words of Robin Williams, two exits, no waiting, <laughs> and I was dying for the night, and again, back to what you said, 
the next morning at six o'clock, I thought, I have let the team down. I can't go with them today. And I texted you and told you I couldn't go. And you wrote back, and I recall your words, Ken, food poisoning, we're all sick. <laughs> you thought it would have just been the extra shots you took. I obviously knew it wasn't that because some of us hadn't taken those. It was the food. It wasn't the alcohol. And but I appreciate you being, you know, in in the U.S. Sometimes we have a designated driver. You were a designated drinker, Wrong. and you you uh, and, and I appreciate that. But uh, that wasn't what put you down. We were all down. Wow. Well, it was quite an experience to say the least. And we took a trip to Brazil that was as well. You were traveling uh, with. Uh, group of Iowans. The Delaware Secretary of Agriculture was uh, traveling with a group of his constituents, and I put the trip together. I took a photographer with me, and we had a great trip through Brazil, um, which is kind of just the opposite of China. You know, China is a buyer. Brazil is a competitor. What do you think of Brazil? You know, I, I love that trip. I, I loved it for several reasons. Um, first of all, it was a place I had not been to and I wanted to be able to get to and see. And it was so agricultural. It's wonderful to fly into an airport. And all you see on advertising around that airport is agricultural advertisements. And it just, it felt like, you know, it felt like Iowa. It was agriculture. It was also fun to be able to spend it with some other Iowans that were there, get to know the folks from Delaware and Maryland that were there. Um, and, and everybody asked such great questions. You get good friends out of it. Um, it just was a great experience. I'd love to repeat that and go to other places with a, with a busload of folks, uh, some of which I know and a lot of other folks that, that become good friends from it. And, and it is an amazing place. I want to get back to Brazil, um, but I'd love to be able to travel to other places on a trip like that, too. And and uh, only wish we hadn't been able to make that um, a uh, an annual kind of trek uh, with folks because it was a great experience. Well, I do a couple more of those, I think, especially if you'd go, because once you told them you were going, uh, they all wanted to go with you. And it didn't take us long to fill up that trip. The thing I remember about Brazil, since I'm older than you, is that I went in there with John Block in 1983. And when we landed uh, in one of the um, cities within the Mato Grosso state, I recall looking out the window as we broke out of the clouds, and there were a few little squares that were cut out of the cerrados or the timber that were growing crops. When I flew back in there in 2001, there were a lot of areas that were cut out. When I flew in with you in 2012, it basically looked like Illinois. Uh, you know, a little more wooded than Iowa, but just open. All of that had been turned into cropland. They did, Bill, if, if you and I think back to our agricultural heritage, it took 150 years to basically clear the plains and convert them into cropland. They did it in about 25 years. It was amazing. And you go to places, and, and again, in many ways, because they did it so fast and they did it, you know, to make it agriculture, they have huge fields where 
where multiple combines, big combines, are all in the same field at the same time. Sometimes a field as far as you could see, uh, thousands of acres, sometimes in the same field. We, we weren't cut into 80s and quarters and, and even half sections. They were multiple sections of ground uh, that were all there, as well as huge grain handling facilities that we could visit as well. So, so by being able to do as quick as they did, they did it in large uh, farms and very modern. Um, and so it was really an interesting thing to be able to be around. And, and yet at the same token, um, I think everybody was glad to come home. There was still a little security issues in some areas and folks were going, I still glad to live in the United States, live in Iowa or Illinois or, or Delaware or Maryland. Um, but I'm sure glad to be able to know a little bit more about Brazil too. Well, it is a country that still um, the jury's out on uh, what they're going to do in the future. Of course, they have all this uh, area of the Amazon and the question of whether or not they're going to go further into the Amazon on breaking out the land and turning it into cropland. Uh, there's a lot of environmental efforts to try to keep them from doing that. Uh, but it is quite a statement to say that a continent basically brought enough land in to feed another billion people over the course of a period of about 25 years. You and I didn't lose track of each other, but you left for Washington, D.C. Uh, during the Trump administration, and uh, Sonny Perdue was the Secretary of Agriculture. You served under him. What were your responsibilities there? So at USDA, you have the secretary, that was Sonny Perdue, a deputy secretary, that was Steve Sensky, and then eight undersecretaries, each responsible for what are called mission areas. That's a, a combination of agencies. Uh, the agencies I was responsible for was farm service agencies, so farm programs, natural resources conservation agency uh, or service, that is uh, the conservation programs, and then risk management agency, which is crop insurance. So those farmer-facing parts of USDA, uh, about 22,000 employees in those areas and responsible for all those agencies across the country, including um, in some of our territories, like uh, like uh, the uh, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, so great experience. Uh, certainly, Sonny Purdue was a great boss to be able to learn from and work with. Um, but uh, a big country with a lot of programs, including some ad hoc programs that we stood up for coronavirus relief and trade relief and disaster response. Well, you did a fine job of that, and those were the core areas that affected agriculture, and uh, you pretty much know them from all sides now, which brings me to a few questions, if you might answer them. I know you're the CEO of the Agri Agribusiness Association of Iowa now, and uh, that it could be the rest of a career job, but if we swung back to a Republican administration would you consider being U.S. Secretary of Agriculture? That's a great question. I, I you know, um, a lot of things have to align for a person to ever get a chance. I, I am very fortunate to have ever served as an undersecretary. Um, a lot of good things go into a president 
choosing who their secretary of ag is that depends on the rest of their cabinet and you know support and all kinds of other things so i doubt that i would ever be asked for something like that and of course it would depend on who asked it would depend on the situation i was fortunate to be able to work where i did i think you'd always consider something like that if you were asked um um, I'm happy as can be having served as an undersecretary and being back in Iowa and close to grandkids and family back here. So it would take a unique situation for that to ever come about. Um, I certainly would consider something like that, but uh, I think I'd be maybe even happier if I was never asked to do something like that and I could just stay here in Iowa. Well, you have a wonderful wife, Cindy who uh, has been very supportive of you. And uh, uh, I'm sure that she has many of the same feelings you do. So let me ask you this. Would you consider returning to state government? It has not been too long ago that your name was bannered around to potentially run for governor. That too uh, requires a unique set of kind of openings and situation. We have a great governor now. I'm a strong supporter of hers. Uh, expect her to be successful this year and run again, and maybe several more times after that. We'll see. Uh, it depends who else um, offers their name up. I'm really happy not campaigning and not raising money and and those kinds of races, those kinds of political races, um, off, uh, take a lot more than, than it took to run for Iowa Secretary of Ag. So um, I don't necessarily see myself in another political office down the road, uh, but you never quite know what circumstances are that that land you in one of those. So I wouldn't say never, um, but I would say it's very unlikely that I would end up running for a future office uh, or probably get appointed to a future office as well. So right now I'm happy as can be. Uh, working for the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, getting to work with a lot of ag folks and getting around the state and being 15 minutes away from uh, a grandson's uh, little league game or a granddaughter's uh, play at school. Um, and uh, having had a lot of opportunities that I could have never imagined that I would have in my rearview mirror um, with, I'm sure, some other opportunities in the future, but they don't have to be political. So we'll see how they all play out, Ken. Is there anything else that's unrequited for you? Uh, you've given us a good answer on both of those offices, but future farm bill legislation, uh, keeping crop insurance aligned with the real producers, things that Senator Grassley has brought up through the years, would you uh, still be interested in uh, speaking up if asked about those? Yeah, I, I think certainly our members care about those issues and uh, Iowa farmers care about those issues as well. And so I look for the opportunity to be able to stay engaged politically, uh, but do it from the role here at Agribusiness Association or being able to um, you know, speak for the interests that farmers have that I've been able to learn over time. Uh, so <clears throat> I, I kind of have the best of both worlds right now. In fact, I just got to see several of our congressional members uh, within the last week or two here in Iowa. Um, it's fun to be able to stay connected with them. It's great to be able to connect our 
members here at AI with places where they can make a difference, whether it's with EPA folks and some of the things that they're thinking about and need to know how it impacts agriculture or others. Uh, so I continue to see the opportunity to be able to be engaged, but not have to do some of those other things that it takes in uh, those roles that I've had in the past. Well, Northy, I want to thank you for talking to me. It is always refreshing. You were always welcoming when I was a reporter covering you. Particularly, I remember how pleased your father and mother were when you became Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. And what a fine job you did, even though at times it was ceremonial on talking to people who were receiving an award or people who were being congratulated for the work that they had done. You handle that very, very well. And yet at the same time, you can go in and do the work that has to be done as well. So thank you for your service to your industry and to your government. I appreciate it, Ken. And thank you for yours. It uh, has been great working together. And you know, um, certainly I think people underappreciate how how interesting those other parts of the jobs that I've had are in reaching out to other folks. But I would say people would definitely underappreciate the importance of our broadcasters, others involved in the ag media. Um, man, you, you don't stand up a coronavirus food assistance program and let farmers know how to sign up without having the connection to farm broadcasters uh, and that engagement and your support in getting the word out to folks and letting folks know what an association's activities are and what a government program's activity is or, or a nutrient reduction strategy is or or how to handle avian influenza, those are extremely important. So thank you for all the conversations. Your colleagues out there are an important part of getting the word out. And it's been uh, really enjoyable to be a part of. And I'm a lucky guy to have been able to do what I've done and lucky to be able to work with folks like you, Ken. Marty, it's been a pleasure to know you and work with you. And uh, I hope for very interesting times ahead. So thank you again. Thank you, Ken.